Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale, sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. This is, uh, <laughs> have you noticed that like autocorrect, well, automatically autocorrect Mothman to Motor Man? Motor Man. <laughs> yeah. No. And there's, so there's like folders in our Dropbox, in our Dropbox, the STM Dropbox that are like Motor Man Legacy, <laughs> the Motor Man of Point Pleasant. Point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, completely different. Cur- cur- wow. Yeah, uh, this is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters, the official podcast of Small Town Monsters. Mm. Disclaimer, the official podcast of Small Town Monsters. I like the sound of that, yeah. In your face. (laughs) Um, This is, uh, I'm one of your hosts, sorry. I'm somebody. Who are you? I'm the motor man of Lake County. (laughs) I am Mark Matsky. I am Seth Breedlove. This is the show. You are on the show. You're listening to the show. <laughs> this, is, um, this is a show. Yeah. Uh, real quick. It may be up now. I have no idea when we're posting it. Uh, the Beast of Whitehall director's cut narrated by Mark Matsky mm. should be out any day now. If it isn't out now free on YouTube for you to go watch uh, with with over 10 minutes of additional content added in. Uh, completely free. If you dig that, you can also sign up for Small Town Monster Squad on our YouTube channel. Hit the join button, become a member, and you'll have access to all sorts of stuff, including uh, behind the scenes, uh, behind the scenes production diary. We did uh, five, I think six, maybe while we were uh, in West Virginia. The Dark Sky production diaries, um, very funny. I heard from most people that it's more like a comedy <laughs> than it is anything paranormal or interesting in that yeah. respect. It is much more there's look, there's footage in there that I would rather people not see. I'll just say that there, there was one night where Aaron was super tired and did something as a joke and then accidentally left it in. So that's fun. Oh. Um, it's like full disclosure, yeah, right? It really I is. Mean, I, there's no, I said on no Twitter, it's you can witness our our quick deterioration into utter insanity Mm -hmm. and that's like honestly that's how the production diaries for the most part are um you're just that's how it's like that is what it's like being on an stm shoot um Mm -hmm. as you can attest yeah and it's still i mean that's true and it still can't approximate the pace Mm -mm. of a shoot that's the one thing i mean because you're popping in and out and capturing moments but yeah that that leads to that insanity pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I mean, so for the dark sky shoot, for context, um, 
we're looking at four, th- three different locations where we slept, as in stayed overnight, mm-hmm. in four nights. Um, but location changes were numerous. You know, Clarksburg, Flatwoods, Sutton, um, Faith Mountain, like all these different places, Wheeling, um, multiple locations in Wheeling where we filmed. We filmed interviews with um, a total of 16 different people, 14 interviews. So two of those people got put, you know, twice people got put with other people. Mm-hmm. But that is a, an astonishing number of interviews for us um, in what was a very short abbreviated uh, time schedule. Yeah. So it's a really crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess it doesn't approximate that. The the just the sheer insanity yeah. of the pace. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you have to love it. You really to do mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah. And have fun doing it. You have to just enjoy that sort of barrel down the highway I sort mean, of spirit. There comes a point though where you don't enjoy it. <laughs> right. Like even you. No, I, I, I don't know. I enjoy the whole thing. Really? There's I never really a point do. where you're just like, man, I'm burned. No, <laughs> no, I'm built different. Uh, well, I can assure you, I start that pretty much on the first day and then yeah. it just goes from there. No, you know what I've realized though? <clears throat> the last like maybe five or six shoots have been the exact same. I'm more exhausted at the start of the shoot than at the end. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but the first couple of days I'm usually bat- battling migraines and I'm like trying to get into the rhythm of it. And then once I'm, once I'm like, my brain can start catching up with where we're at. Yeah. That's when I start to calm down. So well, part so of it's relief, isn't it? I mean, just sort of like into it and getting yeah, stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. Someone mentioned that. Like, do you feel better now that we've got some of these interviews in the can? Does that help you to start feeling better? I think it does to an extent, but um, my brain is always like trying to catch up with our scheduling. Mm-hmm. And this one was really front loaded. Like the first day we shot. I want to say five people, five interviews on the first day. That's I a mean, ton. I mean, that's a ton in one day when yeah. you drive, especially because we were going from from Parkersburg, where we interviewed Susan, mm-hmm. up to Wheeling, which I didn't realize meant we came down 77, went through Marietta, over to Parkersburg, turned around, went back through Marietta, mm-hmm. all the way up to Cambridge before we switched over and to headed toward east. Wheeling. Yeah, yeah. And there were, there was another way that took us just up the river, but it was like an additional like 40 minutes going right. that way. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. So <laughs> yeah. it was really weird. Cause we came all the way to, I mean, Cambridge is pretty, that's a pretty good hoof from like mm-hmm. Marietta. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you're just turning around and going back home. Yeah. And it, was, it was really weird. That would be. And then the other thing that was weird about that night, <clears throat> I get into my hotel room and the, over my bed, they throw all the gear on one bed in my room. I commence. I got one bed open and over my head is a giant photograph of the silver bridge in wheeling, which still like, I get that that's an important part of West Virginia history, but like, why, why, why yeah. commemorate it with this like photo of a bridge in a hotel room where, where 46 people lost their lives. <laughs> exactly. It just seemed kind of weird. It'd be like putting the twin towers over a sure, bed. Sure. Yeah. Like, Right. And maybe people do that. I don't know. It just seemed off. Here's the bridge me. that collapsed yeah. just before Christmas. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> That's the last thing I was looking at before I went to bed. It's kind of weird. This is sort of a random question, but did you have, like, what was your favorite town location that you shot? Ooh. Um, yeah. Ooh. So I saw the sizzle reel today yeah. and it was really, it was striking to see the different towns towns that you yeah. guys were at i think you'll actually see it even more so when i can put something together with like davis because davis is a very small town 
You know, I love wheeling. Um, mm. I had never been. So the thing is, I've been going to wheeling since I was a child. My parents take us to Ogle Bay every year. Oh, or yeah. Took us to, <laughs> they're not taking me now, but <laughs> they used to take us to Ogle Bay every year. And I, is, I'd never been there. I'd never been downtown like that. And just mm-hmm. sitting on the river there with the, um, you know, with the bridges, it reminded me a lot of Pittsburgh or Charleston, I guess. Like those, I've always said Charleston, mm-hmm. West Virginia really reminds me strongly of Pittsburgh. It's on these, you got the hills down and, there yeah. by the river. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I learned some really fascinating things about wheeling that I'm super excited about. Um, the bashful Billy episode is going to be super, not episode, but piece of that story is going to be really interesting because it really ties heavily to Flatwoods. Hmm. I'm very excited about that. But one thing that I never knew was that it's called wheeling and I'm going to screw this up because I can't remember the name he told me, but the, the native, the natives that lived there, they called it the place of the skull hmm. because they would behead people and put their heads on spikes on the, on, on the riverbanks to wow. deter people from traveling through there. Yeah. Um, when the settlers settled there, they used the name, whatever the name was, it was like wheel, wheelung or something. That's why it's called wheeling. It literally means the place of the skull. <laughs> like they just took the name. Wow. Um, and we've already talked about this on, on like the squad pod, podcast Aaron and I did yesterday. We had a, a really cool experience there where we went up to this abandoned, they had started building this huge mansion on this hilltop. And now all that's left is like the foundation of the house. They never built it. They just built the foundation mm. and you can go up there. It sits overlooking the city. And then we shot B roll up there. And I think wheeling was probably like in terms of towns is my favorite location. That mm-hmm. Canaan Valley was unreal, like just gorgeous where we were at was so many deer and geese and like this huge open meadows and just not at all what you think of when you think of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And that was like probably the mo- most eye-opening part of the trip is I, someone who, who believed myself to be sort of a West Virginia expert, just because we've traveled so much within that state and made however many projects. And then I get in there and I'm like, oh, this is not at all yeah. like what people think of as, as West Virginia. Yeah, it's the mountain state. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's yeah. controls the thought. You think of, you think of West Virginia and you think of hills and hollers, mm-hmm. despite the mountain state moniker Mm -hmm. you think of like that kentucky look or like that you know the central Mm -hmm. central west virginia look but man where we were was and it's like epic vistas Mm -hmm. like i'm just not used to it like you saw like seneca rocks yes i mean that's wild that's amazing yeah um and we went up we did go up to spruce knob but we went up at eight o'clock at night and i couldn't tell you it's apparently the highest point in west virginia wow. i couldn't tell you what it looks like i have no idea we were <laughs> up there late at night and almost as soon as we got up there the clouds rolled in and covered the the wow. stars so we didn't even really have star or moonlight mm-hmm. up there so i couldn't tell you what the views like i'm sure it's unbelievable mm-hmm. but it was a uh, anyway you can experience all all of that if you're a squad member along with um aaron's back to working on the the production diaries from on the trail of ufo's east coast from last year oh so he's back to putting all that together um and then he's he's just working his way backwards with that kind of stuff he also posted the butch mobile episode of the investigative report yesterday which is butch witkowski's uh walkthrough of his uh real life mystery machine yes what we call it which includes a body bag in case they catch up a bigfoot or dog man put him in that body bag and there are some big things coming in the next couple of weeks, including a walkthrough of a bear road with Bill Brandon and, and Brian Gosselin. But we have a lot of stuff we're working on. I got to get to my, my big 
project at some point in the next couple of months is going to be a really comprehensive look at area X. I want to do like a, almost nice. like a location tour of area X. Uh, the police just heard me say that they're coming <laughs> to get me. Maybe it's, um, Ron Pugh. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Getting his card back. I wish I understood that, but okay. So this week's episode is all about movies. We were asked by someone to do an episode about our top 10 paranormal documentaries. Was that in an email? I don't have the problem is I don't have my monsteropolis email hooked up to my phone right now because ah. I had to delete it while I was gone. So I don't remember. I think I know someone suggested this. I can't remember if it was in a comment or or uh, or what. So anyway, we're we're doing it. Top ten paranormal documentaries is is I think. Yeah, and I should say right now mm-hmm. that I my list is half and half. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's five paranormal documentaries and then just five documentary films mm-hmm. that I like. Dang! Yeah, can I do. You can do that if you want that. to take a moment. Because I would have spent some serious <laughs> time on that. You know what? I mean, having said that, I should have put some of the true crime stuff. I don't. I'm not a true crime guy, but some of the best documentaries I've watched in the last few years are true crime docu- documentaries, especially the the Keepers, which was a series on Netflix about the murder of a nun. That is is really fascinating. I watched that while I was flying back and forth from L.A. a couple of years ago. Mm. Watched the whole series, and it was it was really moving. Um, and then stuff like evil genius I've referenced before on the show. There's a lot of, I'm not, I don't fashion myself a true crime guy, but some of those docs are really great. Um, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about movies. How are we doing this? Do we want to just each, you read a movie, then I read a movie and we go back and forth. Let's do that. All right, go for it. Okay. Are these in order? Cause mine aren't Um, in order. No, there's no order really. Okay. So these are just 10 paranormal. Well, 10 paranormal documentaries I like and five paranormal yes. documentaries. Mark likes yeah. plus some other ones he likes. Yeah. Well, I will start. Let's, let's do the paranormal ones first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with 1975's In Search of Bigfoot. It's on mine. Is it? I knew we'd both have that one. <laughs> I mean, that has sentimental value. Yeah, it really does. Um, Every time I see a still from it, I think of that night. Yeah. And you can, I mean, when you start thinking about that movie, then the harmonica riff yeah. just drops in there. But that's uh, Robert W. Morgan is mm-hmm. sort of the central figure in that film. The directors were um, Crowley and Miller. And it's just an unassuming, yeah, straightforward yes. documentary. Mm-hmm. It really places you in 70s um, southwestern Washington and on the, the pre-eruption Mount St. Helens area. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's super well done. It lets Morgan sort of just show you his character and uh, the the character of his team. It, it's really, it's just fun. And of course, you know, we had the uh, experience of watching that one night and then the next Literally night, the next night. Yeah, standing where... A lot of those events on Mount St. Helens, yeah, yeah. And I remember driving in there, talking about the movie, like mm-hmm. on, on our drive in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it unassuming is the perfect way to put it. It does not. I feel like it doesn't over dramatize anything that does happen, and very little happens. It is very much like I, I've said. The thing I liked about the the Port Chatham documentary that that Beans Baxter, Larry Larry Baxter was involved in, mm-hmm. um, is it reminded me in some ways of of the search uh, in search of Bigfoot. Right. 
not unrelated, mm-hmm. completely unrelated to the show in search of, right. by the way, I, there, there is an in search of Bigfoot. That's part of that show. That is not this, um, completely unassuming. And, and the, it never, I feel like it just never is trying to mess with the audience or like make the audience think there's anything going on more than there is. And I mean, it ends with like nothing happening mm-hmm. to, to me. Like there's no like purported activity that they really end on. It's just kind of like the eruption or the fires, the fires, the yeah. fires start coming in they're done. They're screwed. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing I guess that sticks with me is that, you not know, the Bigfoots are screwed. That's not <laughs> Yeah, Morgan is in tears at the end of that movie because he knows there's, he felt like they were close to some discovery or, you know, his hypothesis about the movement of the creatures. There was no way that they could continue, you know, finding out if that was going to work or not. And I think that's a theme that, that is a feature of documentaries that I enjoy, which is when you, you know, it's about something for a while Mm -hmm. and very clearly defined topic. And then some real event happens that changes everything. I really like that in a documentary, that Mm -hmm. kind of real life twist. Like they, you know, they weren't going into that thinking, well, the end of this will be the planes dropping water on the fires, but it, it happened that way. And it's, it, that's a real like slice of life thing that I think makes for a good documentary film. And emotional. And and I have a, beyond our trip, I have fond memories of watching that for the first time at Bigfoot Bonanza. If I remember right, it was a an, an actual film cut Ooh. of the movie because it was gorgeous. I yeah. remember thinking it was a really beautiful cut of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's a really great movie. I, I highly recommend it. And you can find DVD versions of it on Amazon. It's difficult to find elsewhere, but you can find copies of it on on YouTube as well, there are some YouTube uploads, but they're terrible quality. Yeah, the DVD is is very nicely restored. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. So the first one on my list, I'm gonna skip for now because we just finished a '70s doc. Let's talk about Bridgewater Triangle, directed by my buddy Aaron Cadju, who is currently uh, hard at work on his Highway Murders documentary oh. series, seven episode series about the the Highway Murders. Um, but uh, Bridgewater Triangle, I have to, I have to say, there are no modern day. Well, this is that's that's a false statement. There's no there's no documentary from the last ten years on my list other than Bridgewater Triangle. And in looking at paranormal docs, and this is all encompassing. I'm talking about UFO docs and all this. That this is the one that to me gets it right that like puts things in a, in a historical context and gives you that folklore element. And, and he, they were clearly having fun when they made it. And I, and I say all of this as someone, yeah, I'm friends with the director, but I watched this movie before I ever knew Aaron. And I loved it when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. And I still watch it about once a year today. Like it's, it's something that I've always gone back to. And I really enjoy the way in which the story is told. And, um, you know, they, they, jump from from case to case all around the Bridgewater Triangle and it's a really good primer for the weirdness that happens there. Um and it's well made. I don't know. Have you seen it yet? I have well yes. Okay. Yeah. In fact it's on my list. Okay. Too. Cool. Oh cool. It really is. And it it takes what would be and we know this because we've we did an episode on mm-hmm. Bridgewater Triangle, a very unwieldy topic. Yeah. 
and walks you through it in a way that really helps you to make sense of a, a triangle area, a strange area. I mean, maybe the closest thing that we've done to that invasion is invasion. Yeah. And so you, you, you have a sense of when it's an area that you're talking about and not like one single unfolding event, you've got your hands full. It's hard to tie it all together. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that movie really pulls it off. Creepy I mean, too. There are, there are moments in it that are super creepy. The mm-hmm. satanic ritual stuff and yeah. the ritualistic killing. Right. Very disturbing. All that but, falls river stuff. Yeah. Oh man. But you know, I think at the same time, it's got those serious moments, but it has, you have the fun Bigfoot stuff and the, and the UFO stories mm-hmm. are really interesting to me. And he, he managed to get, like all the principal players. I was going to say, that's the other thing is the, just the sheer number of witnesses mm-hmm. uh, to multiple phenomena. So you've got, right. the, you've got ghost sightings, you've got, you've got uh murder witness, uh, people that found bodies, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like all sorts of UFOs. Yeah. UFOs. You got it all. It the, runs the gamut. Yeah. I like the, like the TV anchorman mm-hmm. who had the UFO sighting. I yeah. just, I don't know. I like that story a lot. And the, Great movie. Um, and the tie-ins to the the Native American Wampanoag history mm-hmm. and stuff, I think, is fascinating. The What is it? King, oh, I can't think of the, the one chief, mm-hmm. but it's his war. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of it now. But it, it's... Um, is it King Philip? King Philip, yeah. King that's Philip's it. War, yeah. That's it. So um, that sent me on a whole quest to learn more about it. And it it's fascinating. I still... I've, I know we've traveled through there... Um, but uh, the closest I felt to that story was when I was making the on the trail of UFOs and we were up in that New Hampshire mm-hmm. area um, and we traveled through Massachusetts. But we, we took some really cool stories relating back to to UFO uh, possible. It's actually in episode seven, a possible like UFO abduction that took place in like the 1600s. Mm. And that's very close to Bridgewater. Trail. Yeah, We're really great. Yeah. Enjoy that documentary a lot. All right. The next one on my list is uh, one that I've seen thanks to uh, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And it's entitled Bigfoot Monster Mystery. It is on the site. It gives it like a 2014 date, but that has to be the date that it went on the site mm. and not when it was produced. Because it was clearly produced for TV, and I think British TV, in the early 1990s because mm. it just has strong season one x-files vibes across the board like those type of cars mm. that type of mark snow musical accompaniment um the the guy in the center of the action is a photographer named john waters and he's going to the movie begins with henry franzoni playing drums, the drums. In yes, the middle of I've the wilderness. Great. And it's just, it is the entertainment value yeah. of this documentary is so high. Mm-hmm. I just cannot. Andy and I will watch this probably a couple times a year just yeah. because we know it's going to be how much fun it's going to be. Yeah, it's it's just blast. really fun. And it, it, it sort of is bookended by this photographer's um, or, or videographer's idea to create a a Bigfoot costume and film it and try mm-hmm. to see, is it plausible to, to make this sort of um, fake film? But that's in between. It's like, you've got the 
Pacific Northwest forests and all these characters that he meets along the way and just this whole early 90s thing. And Franzoni sort of steals the show, in my opinion. At one point, his face is framed between these two computer monitors and he's sitting at his desk and speaking with utter seriousness yeah. about what's happening. Stone and, cold. And then he comes out from behind it and he has this magnificent sweater with Bigfoot footprints like going from the shoulder down to the waist in a diagonal pattern. It's just, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I just have to say, I, I, I'm, I enjoy it tremendously. And, you know, you read the comments on Amazon and clearly people don't understand yeah. what they're watching because this is like a real, as, as campy as it might be interpreted as a film, it captures this moment in time in the early 90s when it, this is pre-Finding Bigfoot, this is pre-Monster Quest. It, this was like living in the wake of In Search Of, but still wasn't widely thought of as something there, there to something go investigate. about that time that I adore. Mm -hmm. I've we've talked about it before, that early 90s to late, even like into the late 90s period of Bigfoot research. And I guess like even into the early 2000s, because that's when I... I started getting into this stuff in like 2005 and I was retroactively going back and checking out podcasts and things like that. Very early podcasts like Sean Forker's Bigfoot is just Sasquatch experience. And I was listening to um, Bigfoot triangle with Don Keating and all this stuff. And I loved how research was conducted back then, like how investigators, how they mm -hmm. interacted with each other and the, very early uh, stages of like Bigfoot forums and things like that. Yeah. People like uh, there was some, there was like a wide eyed optimism about Bigfoot research at that point that yep. I, that I really love. Yeah. It's like a real hopefulness. Yeah. Like we're going to get this done. Yeah. You had the, and you had big, big things happening. You had like marble mountain and like all these things were starting to be analyzed, like mm -hmm. footage, like Memorial day footage and all right. this stuff right around that time. What's the big uh, glute cast? What is that thing? Oh, Skookum cast. Skookum cast yeah. happens around that time. Paul Freeman yeah. videos coming out. Yeah. Everything is kind of focused around that period in time for me. Um, I just struck one title from my list and added another one over it. And it was just because something you said reminded me of, I had mysterious monsters on here. Mm -hmm. It's no longer on here. I love mysterious monsters, but I feel like you get the same stuff from some of the other movies I'm going to talk about anyway. So mm -hmm. it's out. Bobcat Goldthwait's American Bigfoot, which is only 10 minutes is now in uh, American Bigfoot disclaimer. Like if you take this stuff, stuff so seriously that you cannot possibly laugh at the absurdity of some of the, 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 some of the more absurd elements of something like Bigfoot dumb. Don't even watch it. Just move on. And I totally get it. If you like, if you feel it's disrespectful, I know Lauren Coleman absolutely, he despises this movie. So it's a 10 minute short film and it is essentially uh Bobcat just lampooning uh, a conference, very well-known conference here in yeah. Ohio uh, with a lot of people we know in it. Um, mm -hmm. And, but it is absolutely hysterical. And I say this as someone who knows and loves some of the people that get uh, lampooned in this, but it is truly a hilarious look at Bigfoot dumb. Um, it, it, uh, it, in my opinion, it is as close as we'll get to a, this is spinal tap look at Bigfoot. I mean, like really, and, and, you know, I, I think there, he came at it to make something that was purposefully parodying 
the community and the subject. I don't think Bobcat thinks these people are idiots or, or, or uh, in fact, I know he doesn't, I've heard him talk about it. Like he doesn't, but at the same time, you have to be able to laugh at yourself. And this does such a good job of, of, uh, really characterizing, uh, some of the, some of the people that are into, to this subject and their interactions with each other and their lack of social skills and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other thing I can say about it is I'm really glad I got kicked out of the Bigfoot conference the year that this was made. Cause I was supposed to be there. I would have been there if I hadn't been kicked out. It would have been about you. Yeah, probably. It <laughs> probably would have. Uh, Cliff has the best moment in the mm-hmm. whole thing where he's talking about how he wants to hold what is it hold or sleep with Bob Gimlin? I mean, it's like the most, it's the most innocent cliff comment, but it's taken so out of context yeah. in the documentary that it is hysterical. And I know cliff and Bobcat are good buddies. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's done and fun, yeah. but um, I mean, I, I, every time I watch it, I laugh. I just laugh hysterically mm-hmm. the whole time. So, and I introduced Byron from Fright Day to it last night. So I'm excited about oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why I can't believe I didn't add it to my list okay. this morning. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, you know, I've seen it a couple times, and it's good. I, I, I think Bobcat is coming at it from a standpoint of his contact with the community. He's mm-hmm. he's seen the humor yeah. in it. Yeah, I don't think he's making fun of the no. community. I think he's pointing out, you know, guys, there's there's humorous elements to this. You have to understand. Yeah, you have to appreciate. Yeah, because in a sense, I mean, that's his his life's work is humor and you can't be exposed to this community for very long and not see, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that includes us. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're the giggle festers themselves. Yeah, so that's us. We, we have embrace it. So you have to embrace it. Urban giggle <laughs> fest show. Yeah. So that is worth, and that's, that's still up on YouTube. Yeah. Right? I just, yeah. Still up there. Free. Cool. Go watch it. 10 minutes. All right. Next on my list is 2008's Not Your Typical Bigfoot Movie by Jay Delaney. It's a good one. And yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. It follows two uh, homegrown investigators from Portsmouth, Ohio. One of who's dead now. Yeah, mistaken. Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah. And that is, um, it's absolutely engrossing because you get pulled into the two lives of the principal investigators I think maybe this movie means a little bit more to me personally because I lived in Southeast Ohio for six years of my life Mm -hmm. and I've met people who are like this. Mm -hmm. If anyone watches that movie and thinks these guys were playing roles, they were just being themselves, I can assure you, uh, because they're not doing anything that's false or out of character and it's... It really gives you an, a, um, a lot of things that I love in a documentary, some of which I've already talked about. But like, you think it's going to be one thing, and it is that for a while, and it's just sort of fun, and this sort of weird buddy movie. And then things take a twist with the introduction of Biscardi into the mix. And then that sort of lays open all of these hopes and fears and dreams that these guys have that are attached to this search. And I... It just, it, it becomes unexpectedly emotional and impactful and you really get into the psychology mm-hmm. of these guys and it's, uh, it's overwhelming almost. If you're not expecting it, the places there it goes, it gets 
very dark in places. And for that reason, I just really admire this film. It, it does all the things that I really enjoy in a documentary. It kind of lets you think you know it's what it's about, and then it kind of switches up halfway through, and it, it just, um, the humanity in it is very strong. It, it, I would be, just as a parent, I feel as though I have to say, there are some elements to that film that you might want to watch out if you've got small children. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a, like a mid-teen and up, I think this is a really great examination of what drives people to look for Bigfoot and in sort of a subtext way, um, things that we in Small Town Monsters touch on in subtext ways, which is what's happening to uh, the Midwest and the Rust Belt and these tiny towns yeah. that are still still living <clears throat> off of their um, foundations, but mm-hmm. it's not you know necessarily a hopeful vision. Um, I'm trying to go with one. I'm going to talk about Killer Legends real quickly. It's been a while since I've watched this, but I wanted to mention it because I watched it before we made uh, Boggy Creek Monster, and then I've watched it a few times since. Um, this one is is a look at l- l- classic urban legends around the country. Um, it's the director of Cropsy, which is a super creepy documentary that is not on my list because it's not fun to watch. Okay. Um, it's It looks at a... a if I remember right, like a home where children were put and just experimented Ooh. on and all sorts of disturbing stuff. Um, but Killer Legends is a little more fun. A little more, It's kind of perfect for like the Halloween season. Uh, they investigate numerous, like, I want to say like four or five different urban legends around the country. One of them being like the idea of uh, like things being put into uh, children's candy for Halloween. Oh, so like okay. trick or treating. Yeah. And they kind of debunk a lot of this stuff. And that's mm-hmm. what I think was so fun about it. Um, there's the story about the, the um, hook handed man attacking the car and like you know, yes. the woman hanging. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really cool documentary. Very well done. One of my favorite things about it. I have to mention this because after a week of like trying to work with gimbals, I was reminded I love handheld work. I mean, I really do. Mm-hmm. And and like this has become it's not a hill I'm going to die on, but it's like it's getting close because okay. after making a movie that was so like dependent on on gimbal work a lot of the times, um, I just really like the look of that handheld camera work. And mm-hmm. they, they embraced that in this. And that was something I really enjoyed about this movie. It's also the first paranormal documentary or in any way. There's definitely paranormal elements to this that I remember thinking that looks amazing. Like just the way it was shot and the, and, and the whole, the whole vibe of the movie, it just has its own mood and tone and it looks great. So I want to quickly mention killer legend. Cool. It's a good one. Where is that? Is that like on streaming? I couldn't tell you anymore. Okay. I know when I watched it, I bought it. So it's in my okay. library on Amazon. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would think it might be on Hulu and those okay. you know, Amazon and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Killer legends. It's All a right. Good one. Well, I, I'm sure you know it's probably coming next. Uh, Sasquatch Odyssey mm. by Peter. Doggone it, man! I just I forgot about it. Oh, okay, I didn't put it on my <laughs> list. Peter Van Putcomer. Yeah, I'm taking off Monster Quest Sasquatch okay. Attack. <laughs> that's gonna go there. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I mean that's um, again. I mean for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's. It zeroes in on the four horsemen of the golden age of Bigfootery 
and just lets these guys reveal who they are. And good or bad, good or bad, <laughs> ugly or, or, um, you know, decent. But I think the other thing that the, my first viewing of this, I was just, I guess, unprepared for was the amount of original footage that exists of these guys. Yeah. And was just really struck by things like just John Green getting out of his car. <laughs> you know, as yeah. stupid as that sounds, but like somebody had the presence of mind to commit those images to film and he had access to all of that. Burn driving around in his yeah. Jeep. Right. Right. Exactly. So um just wonderful, wonderful human drama. Yeah, it, it brings up like my next one is Bigfoot Manor Beast. Um but Sasquatch Odyssey, Bigfoot Manor Beast, Man Beast, Myster- Mysterious Monsters, uh, The Legend of Bigfoot, Ivan Marks, they've they do there are more than just well I mean I guess they're literally the definition of a documentary which is they are documenting they are documenting and and cataloging for us for future generations a very important point in time because uh, with Sasquatch Odyssey I think we actually get to see the real those guys for mm-hmm. real. Yeah. Um, and that's really important. The Ma- Bigfoot man or beast I put on here. It's, it's hokey as all get out. Like it really is. It's got silly music and um, the copies you can find are ter- They look terrible. The sky's completely blown out. There's, mm-hmm. there's parts where you can't tell what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a, there's a kill, no kill debate that erupts between uh, DeHinden and green and, Robert W. Morgan at a picnic table mm-hmm. that everyone sort of knows. I mean, if you're in Bigfoot, you're, you're aware of this debate that took place. That is from this movie, and it's a really important point in history. Um, and it's something I love. I love I love that aspect of these documentaries, but especially that like 70s, 80s time period. You get so much of like almost like a time capsule where mm-hmm. they're capturing this very specific moment in time. That's what one thing I appreciate about uh, Bigfoot Man or Beast. Man Beast is also good as well. I think Man Beast is the one that opens with the weird uh, family of Bigfoots oh, in the field. Yeah. I might yeah. be wrong. It could be Bigfoot Man or Beast, but mm-hmm. I had to put Bigfoot Man or Beast on because of that reason. Do you want to save your non-paranormal yeah. for last? Yeah. Why? And then I'll just run through these other ones. I mean, one of the, this one, what are we going to say? I put the Legend of Boggy Creek on here. I realize it's largely fiction but it's fiction in the same way to me anyway it's fiction in the same way something like momo or or um bell witches like it's drawing from real events um and even though some of this is is played um you know more for scares than than directly retelling history i feel like the movie is a documentary because these events for the most part happen we know they happen so you get it's a docudrama, but there's a the the docu part. There is firmly yeah, in the documentary. Absolutely, camp. I mean it. It's you see the Sulphur River, mm-hmm. you know, you see Boggy Creek, yeah. um, you see the town of Falk as it existed in the early '70s. So it definitely has, and a lot of people played themselves yeah. in the film. So it UFOs, did. it has begun, narrated by Rod Serling. It's one I watched oh, two wow. years ago when I was getting ready to do something. And you know what? It might be further back than that. It might be when we made Invasion. Hmm. Uh, It's a really, there's something very unsettling about this documentary. And I can't put my finger on it because it's, it's hokey, but, uh, you know, Serling's narrating it. So that alone is kind of creepy. Did he produce it or did he just, I I couldn't tell you. Yeah. 
I um I rewatched a little bit of it this morning just to just as a primer. Um, but I just know it's super creepy. Even the little bit I watched unsettled me in some mm-hmm. weird way. You're watching a 1970s doc that comes with all the weird artifacts of watching it. You know, the quirks of like the film and like you're seeing film reel and grain and dust all over the screen and everything. And then everything's filtered through that weird, like psychedelic kind of like nineties or seventies lens, even though they're not necessarily going for that, it still has that element to it. Um, and you're hearing about a very specific point in ufology. Mm-hmm. So I really, I, I adore that movie as well. I watch that anytime we're making anything focused on UFOs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eyes of the Mothman, uh, mm. a two plus hour documentary about Mothman that um, sort of tells you everything you need to know about the Mothman legend in the in a very overwrought, um, pro- probably too big mm. way. Mm-hmm. I I still love this movie. I I constantly talk about it as being like the the blueprint I didn't want to follow when we made the Mothman of Point Pleasant. I wanted to make something small and concise, but I love the fact that Pulowski set out to do this huge, massive, epic take. Yeah. I mean, this took some balls. Like, there's no other way to say <laughs> mm-hmm. it. Like, I know how much money he spent on it. Um, the If you think about the fact that there is a nearly three-hour-long documentary about the Mothman that exists, it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, and done very well, like well-made, well-shot, uh, professionally done documentary about the Mothman. So Eyes of the Mothman is on here. However, it's not my favorite Mothman documentary. My favorite Mothman documentary is called The Search for Mothman. Um, and this was the one that accompanied the Mothman prophecies on DVD yeah. that features interviews with Lauren Coleman and some other mm-hmm. people we know. The reason I love this one is it's got direct eyewitness interviews with people who have since passed away. You get to hear how things happen from Linda Scarberry and Marcella Bennett and a lot of the people that are gone now. And this, for me, when I was making the Mothman of Point, or yeah, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, this was like the most invaluable resource I found. And that's, again, what I was referencing with those 70s docs. It's, they were a resource. It goes far beyond just a simple movie. There's a lot more to it than that. So I think or, in the first Mothman Museum, that used to play on a loop. Mm-hmm. There was like a little room that you could sit in. Yeah. And that was always going. Because I remember watching that and the music, documentary the there. Music yeah, always stands out. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. All right, what do you got besides paranormal? Oh, okay. Well, I'll just jam through these because we're like we're getting low on time. But um, 2018 was a big year for documentaries for me, I guess, because I saw um, "They Shall Not Grow Old" mm-hmm. in the theater. That's the Peter Jackson restoration yeah, of the World seen World War One footage. Yeah. And what's so striking about that? If if it, it just follows um, uh, British soldiers on the way to the front lines. But what it does is it takes this old, you know, like the the footage that you're used to seeing of that era is very herky-jerky, right? And it's like everything's moving in an unnatural way because of how cameras worked back then. Mm -hmm. But they were able to develop um, some sort of software that smoothed out the motion so that it looks in every way like this was filmed yesterday. And it just is, it's um, very simple, but I think it's all the better for that because it shows you the buildup and the great, the push in Great Britain to get guys to enlist and, you know, how this was forgotten country essentially. And then what they experienced, what they saw and how they came back from that. 
you know, the simplest war type of story that you could tell, mm -hmm. but just the fact that it was real. I mean, you're looking at real people who are there and um, getting a sense of that trench warfare and the unpredictability and sort of the inevitability of death in those situations is uh, very striking. Really good film. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad I went down to Chagrin Falls. It's like the only theater in the area that had it that I could find in its initial run. Mm -hmm. It's like sitting in the front one or first or second row, like way off to the side, and it was packed out. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That was good. I want to see it. Um, also, that same year, uh, Morgan Neville's Won't You Be My Neighbor came out as Mr. Rogers' story. Um, again, the thing about that that I really enjoyed, having grown up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, is he takes you like behind the scenes to show that this was a fundamentally decent man, but he was very driven when it came to getting his show on the air. Like He had a way he wanted to do it, and there's this whole part in that where um, public television's funding was in question, and he goes before Congress to basically ask for the order. And so you would think, and I forget the name of the senator, whoever is questioning him and is obviously like has this opinion of Mr. Rogers as this sort of milk toast, um, effeminate almost guy. Mm -hmm. And he just very patiently and calmly like says, this is what my vision is for making this show. And I believe in it. And I I want him to make this for the children of the nation. Hmm. And he, he saves the, the funding. I mean, it works. His very simple, calm, quiet ask gets it done. And I, I just love that. I, I believe in that a lot. Yeah. So um, that's really well done. And it, it just gives you, there's a lot of people who talk about working with him on the show and uh, really good stuff. Um, my next one is 2002's Spellbound. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't seen any of this. Okay. This is making me feel like an yeah. idiot. <laughs> this is a film by Jeffrey Blitz, and it follows, I think it's, yeah, eight contestants to the National Spelling Bee. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious, and it's touching and heartbreaking because you see, like, eight of these kids and their approach to being, like, these spelling wizards – and some of them, their families like drilled them since they could spell mm -hmm. to like spell these lists, right? And some of them are just like kooky. Uh, I'm spilling my cereal on my head and I can spell any word that you want me to spell just naturally. And so they're all on this collision course, right? It, for the spelling bee itself. And you get to the end and you're like, oh my gosh, because you want them all to win and they can't all win. So that's really good. Um, this one, next one's kind of a cheat, I suppose, because it's not really a one one self-contained film, but it's The Last Dance, uh, the, the yes. Jordan documentary from yeah. 2020. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that that's like, that's the very era of NBA basketball that I grew up on and mm -hmm. absolutely loved with every fiber of my being and followed it like... Yeah, me too. ...so closely. Mm -hmm. And what... Uh, the director does, I don't know how to say his name. It's H-E-H-I-R, mm -hmm. Jason Hare, I guess. I don't know. But what he allows Jordan to do is just basically reveal his actual personality and, and you know, examines the, the cost that he paid to be the best. Yeah. 
and you're left at the end of it. It's very ambiguous. I feel like, mm-hmm. like at, at, at the end of that documentary where you should feel like triumphant and yeah, you know, this is Michael Jordan. He did it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I was left feeling like, huh, I wonder if he feels like it was worth it or not. Yeah. Or if the people around him feel like it was worth it. So I, I love that. I think that's, that's good storytelling. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just letting, letting him, Jordan very much gets to dictate the story. And uh, you're left with, here's somebody who dedicated himself to winning at all costs. Right. And uh, so that's that. And then the, the last one is, um, this was like an hour long bonus feature on the classic media a DVD of Rodan and War of the Gargantuas is a documentary called Bringing Godzilla Down to Size. And it's awesome because it take it took all of the men who have been in the Godzilla costume, interviews them, interviews all these Toho actors and special effects artists, and takes you into their labs and shows you how they created all of the special effects in those films and, and how much... The thing that comes out really um, naturally out of that is how much pride and craftsmanship went into making all those little sets, you know, from the buildings to mountains and stuff and and crafting the monster suits and everything. Um, People tend to make fun of those these days and say, you know, rubber suits and blah, blah, blah. And, but you can't watch that and walk away thinking, you know, Here's these, these guys were absolutely dedicated to their craft and they just wanted to make a movie that you could believe in when you watched it. And I think still to this very day with the right frame of mind, you can watch those films and be like, at least appreciate what went into making a movie like that even happen in the fifties and sixties. It is funny that, I mean, this is true with anything creatively, but there's, there's gotta be, there's a process to it that begins with an idea and then enacting that idea, and it's the and it's the the actual process of fulfilling the initial idea that that kills you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it's interesting. I I just thought of that because of the fact that we're talking about documentaries, and it's so easy for us to sit now and talk about these documentaries that were made 30, 40 years ago. But at one point in time, that was someone's two, two three years of their life went into yeah. making that, and we just kind of take it for granted the mm-hmm. creative what goes into actually creating movies. Right. That in no way is a reference to SDM. You know? It's just like, it's, it It always hits me. It's the same with anything. Books, paintings, like anything. Mm-hmm. There's an idea and then the inaction of the idea. And, and it's a difficult road to walk to actually you know make this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the show, leave us a rating review on iTunes, whatever. If you want to watch the show, Swanton Monster Squad on YouTube. Um, I think that does it. We'll, we'll be back next week with a, with a huge show. Yeah. Figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening or watching. Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.